Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. A Sabbath school teacher was discussing the Ten Commandments with her class of five and six-year-olds. And after explaining the Fifth Commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, she asked them, now is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? Without missing a beat, one little boy raised his hand and said, thou shalt not kill. (laughs) It's a good answer, right? Now we laugh. But I think that little boy was on to something because this sixth commandment, thou shall not kill, forms a key part of God's definition of love. See, we're in the middle of a series called The Ten, on the Ten Commandments of Jesus. And the basic premise behind this series is that God's Ten Commandments define for us what his will is. They teach us how to love God and how to love others well. So in the context of this idea of love, this sixth commandment makes a lot of sense. Thou shall not kill, or as the NIV puts it, you shall not murder. You shall not murder, right? So, so these ten commandments, they, they define um, what love is for us. They define what love looks like for us. And it's a really good thing that they do because... If you think about it, we humans are often not very good at knowing what love is. I mean, just listen to some of these lyrics of popular love songs. Listen to what they teach about love. From the esteemed poet, Britney Spears. (laughs) She sings, Sometimes I run, sometimes I hide, sometimes I'm scared of you. But all I really want is to hold you tight. You know, somebody needs to tell Brittany, if she's that scared of her boyfriend, it's probably a big red flag, right? (laughs) From Savage Garden, I knew I loved you before I met you. I think I dreamed you into life. I mean, that one doesn't even make any sense. (laughs) How could you possibly love someone before you meet them, right? From police, every breath you take, every move you make, Every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. (laughs) Who else is a little creeped out? I mean, this is like the stalker theme song right here. And this is from the top Billboard song of 2017, Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet do. Although my heart is falling too, I'm in love with your body. With all due respect to Mr. Sheeran, this sounds a lot more like lust than love. We're confused about what love is, and so that's why God clarifies what love is with the Ten Commandments. And in that context, this commandment, you shall not murder, it makes a lot of sense. He's saying that if you love someone, don't kill them. (laughs) Just saying. Seems pretty obvious, right? 
Don't kill them. I don't think there would be a lot of people who argue with that. Most societies in our world would support the idea of the sanctity of life. So it's simple. Don't murder. It's so simple that when my friend heard that I was preaching on this passage, she told me I should just come up here, read this passage, do not murder, say amen, and send everybody home. (laughs) No, just drop the mic and walk off the platform. Because we don't really feel like this applies to us, right? I mean, how many murderers are there in the room? I'm glad only a few of you raised your hand. Just those of you in the back in the murderer section. We don't feel like this applies to us. We're pretty confident about this commandment. Because we might lie once in a while, or we may break the commandment to honor our father and our mother, but murder? I'm pretty sure I've never done that before. And that's why Christina Hergenrader, she writes, the fifth commandment is like an iceberg. Most of the time, we only see the tiny, sharp point poking above the calm surface of polite society. We believe that his commandment is only for a small group of people, an instruction God gives to the worst of the worst. Serial killers, mass shooters, and terrorists who are living in pitch black darkness. And yet, just like an iceberg, if we take the time to dive a little bit deeper under the surface, we'll see that there's so much more to this commandment than we originally saw. For one thing, the word here used as murder, defined as murder, is the Hebrew word ratzak. And ratzak doesn't encompass all kinds of killings. It only encompasses those with the intention to do harm. That's why the NIV translates it murder here. Out of the 46 times it's used in the Old Testament, almost every time it's used in the context of a willful choice to do harm. But that still leaves a number of unanswered questions. For example, does this only apply to humans? Or are animals included? Is it murder to kill an animal for any other reason than for food? Or how about an unborn fetus? Or life immediately after conception? Is the morning after pill murder? Or how about assisted suicide and euthanasia? Is that murder? And I know some of you must be thinking at this point, Whoa, Joey, where where are you going with this? Don't worry. I'm not going to try to answer all of those questions today. But what we will do is focus on the principle that lies below the surface of this commandment. And hopefully that will give some light to some of those questions. Now, that principle that we're going to talk about today is one of the main reasons why we exist as humans. Let me explain. Way back in creation... Right before we were created, God gave one reason and one reason alone why he made us. Now, we know from other passages in Scripture that there were other reasons why God made us, but this is the only one that he specifically states immediately before creating us. So what is that? What is that reason? It's found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, So after five days of creation... After, after creating the birds in the air and the fish in the sea, after creating the plants and the trees, after creating life on this earth, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea 
and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Focus for a moment on that word, image. We are created in the image of God. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Does it mean that we look like him? That we talk like him? That we act like him? Possibly. But a big part of this also encompasses the idea that to be created in his, in his image means that we continue his work. See, uh, Professor J.H. Walton, a biblical scholar, he explains this idea that when we are created in his image, we are to, create, to continue in God's work. He writes, In the ancient world, an image was believed in some ways to carry the essence of that which it represented. An idol image of deity designated by the same terminology used here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, was used in worship because it contained the deity's essence. This does not suggest that the image could do what the deity did or that it looked the same as the deity, even though the idol was a physical object. Rather, the deity's work was thought to be accomplished through the idol. In other words, by creating us in his image, God made us to continue the work that he began at creation. See, God created life, and then he made us to cultivate life. Or to put it simply, God gave life, we are to grow life. And that's why we're given dominion or authority over the earth. Because God wanted us to promote the life that he had produced. That's one of the main reasons why we were created in the first place. And that's why he encourages us not to murder. Because when we murder, when we murder, we violate the purpose for which we were created. We destroy life instead of developing it. We crush life instead of cultivating it. We violate that purpose. And, and it's, not, it's not just physical life that we are to protect. It's also emotional life and spiritual life. Mental life. That's why Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, tells his disciples, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. In other words, to insult someone is a form of murder and a violation of the sixth commandment. Because life is more than just breathing. It's not just about being alive. It's about actually living. So when we insult someone, what we're doing is destroying a portion of their life. We're damaging them. We're, we're destroying what we should be developing. Now, again, the final six commandments, the whole point of the final six commandments were to expand on this concept of loving our neighbor as ourselves. So what this sixth commandment teaches us is that part of what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves is that we are to grow the life that God has given to them. See, that's what God's kind of love looks like. God's kind of love is what invests in the object of its love. I really like how Ellen White describes this. 
In, in Thoughts of, from the Mount, Mount of Blessings, she writes, The love of God is something more than a mere negation. It is a positive and active principle, a living spring ever flowing to bless others. If the love of Christ dwells in us, we shall not only cherish no hatred toward our fellows, but we shall seek in every way to manifest love toward them. See, true love adds value. Let me say that again. True love adds value. It seeks to grow life in people. It seeks to nurture life in others. See, the principle behind this commandment teaches us that we were created to invest, to invest our time, to invest our energy, to invest our talents, to invest our resources. We were created to invest into this world and to invest into creating value for this world. To write, to speak, to build, to, to heal in ways that is a blessing to people and is a blessing to the world. So we were called to grow the lives of our, our families, our friends, and our world. We are to grow life, grow the life that God has given. So let me ask you, do you grow life? Do you nurture it? Do you cultivate life in other people? See, that is what creates purpose for us. That's what creates purpose for us. See, this is, this is a completely different orientation that we, we are used to getting from society. What society teaches us is that you find purpose by seeking your own pleasure, right? That society teaches us that we should cultivate our own happiness, even if it's at the expense of someone else's happiness. That we should nurture our own, um, our own success, even if it's at the expense of someone else's success. That we should pursue our own agenda, our own needs, and our own wants. But the sixth commandment stands there as a reminder that that is not the reason why we were made. We were not made simply to cultivate our own lives. We were made to cultivate the lives of the people around us. That is the reason why we were created. And that is the reason, that is what gives us meaning in this world. See, we find fulfillment when we choose to be the means to someone else's success. I love how Pastor Andy Stanley in his leadership podcast, he puts it this way. He says, purpose is about becoming a means to an end that is not you. I want you to dwell on that for a moment. Purpose is about becoming a means to an end that is not you. And that's kind of counterintuitive because we'd much rather be the end than the means to someone else's end, right? He continues, purpose will be found just across the border of what's in it for me. In other words, we will never find the meaning that we seek. We will never find this fulfillment that we seek if we're constantly asking what's in it for me. We need to start asking what's in it for them. And that's why the key question that begins us on this journey of finding purpose is not, 
what am I here for? Not what is my purpose here, but who am I here for? Right now, who is it that I can invest in? Who is it that I can add value to? Whose life is it that I can grow? Who am I here for? That's where true meaning is found because that is what God created us to do. And on a certain level, we all get that. Even those of us who are not Christians, there's something about being connected to something bigger than us that resonates with us, especially when it comes to the end of our lives. You know, at the end of our lives, when we have a memorial service, no one hopes that somebody will come up to the front and stand there and say, what I remember most about him was that he was a great handyman. What I remember by her is that she was a great saleswoman. Oh, he could read an x-ray like nobody's business. That's not what we hope for. We don't hope somebody will remember us for having the best lawn in the neighborhood. Oh, he had the best lawn in the neighborhood. She had the biggest house. He drove the nicest cars. Did you see her closet? Her shoes? That's not what we hope for. That's not what we hope to be remembered for. What I hope that someone will say about me is something like this. When I was at my lowest, he came alongside me. When I was suffering, when I was hurting, he dropped what he was doing to care for me. He cared for me. He, he paid attention to me. He invested in me. See, what I want to be remembered for is not something that I did, but how I lived. I hope my coworkers will say something like, man, he was great not for what he did up front, but how he supported me from behind. I hope my children will say, he was a great father because he took the time to understand what was important to me and support me in the best way that he could. I hope my wife will say about me, he was a great husband because he put our family's needs, my needs, above his own. That's what I want to be remembered for. And I'd bet that that's what you want to be remembered for as well. Because we all want to leave this world a little bit changed. We would like someone to be able to say about us, my world was a little bit better. My life was a little bit richer because he was in it. And if that is what you're looking for, it doesn't take a huge change. It doesn't take a dramatic shift. You don't have to move to another country. You don't have to change careers. For some of us, that may be what God is calling us to. But for the vast majority of us, it's just a shift that happens in our lives. We move from focusing on finding opportunities to further our own lives and move it to finding opportunities to further someone else's life. We begin to ask the question, how can I add value to the people around me? How can I add value to my coworkers? How can I get better at supporting them from behind? How can I add value to my classmates? How can I be a stepping stone to their success? How can I add value to my family? How can I be a means to their ends? 
How can I be a means to my wife's ends or my husband's ends or my children's ends to put their needs ahead of mine? How can I be a means to my parents' ends? How can I add value to the people around me? That's the question that we are to ask because that is what we were created for. That is what, that is where we find our meaning and our purpose. One of my favorite stories about the fulfillment that can come from adding value to someone's life comes from a book called When, Li- when the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box by John Ortberg. And he tells the story about a grocer named, a, a, grocery, a bagger at a grocery store named Johnny. And the grocery store that Johnny worked at it held a one-day training conference for all of its frontline workers, and it invited a guest speaker by the name of Barbara Glantz. And Barbara focused on the idea that every interaction with a customer was an opportunity to do something great, to impact their lives in a positive way. And she encouraged them to take advantage of those opportunities. Then she left her phone number just in case any of them wanted to share their stories with her. A little while later, she received a phone call from Johnny. And after introducing himself and proudly declaring that he had Down syndrome, he told her his story. He said, I really liked what you said, but I didn't think I could do anything because I'm just a bagger. And then I had an idea. He decided that he would go home every day after work and find an inspirational thought for the day. And if he couldn't find an inspirational thought for the day, he'd write one up. And then with his father's help, he'd print about 300 of these, cut them out, signed every single one of them. And then when he went to, the, to work the next day, whenever he finished bagging someone's groceries, he would drop one of those thoughts for the day into their bags. Just simple. Nothing dramatic. But about a month later, Barbara received another phone call, this time from the manager of Johnny's store. And he shared how Johnny's small act had a big impact at their store. I want to read you his words. This is what he says. You won't believe what's happened here. I was making my rounds when I got to the cashiers. The line at Johnny's checkout was three times longer than anyone else's. It went all the way down the frozen food aisle. I got on the loudspeaker to get more checkout lines open, but I couldn't get anybody to move. They all wanted to be in Johnny's line. One woman said, I used to shop at your store once a week. Now I come in every time I go by. I want to get Johnny's thought for the day. Pretty soon, his coworkers started following his lead. The florists, instead of throwing away their unused flowers, they found elderly customers to give them to. The meat department started wrapping their packages with ribbons. The deli started to put cute little stickers on all of their packages. See, somehow in the midst of a grocery store, Johnny had found a way to grow the life that God had given. See, this is why we are made. This is where we find purpose. This is how we love well. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father,
We want to thank you for being a God of love. And you created us because of love. You created us to cultivate and to grow the love that you gave to us. So we ask that you enable us to partner with you in growing the lives of the people around us, to focus not so much on growing our own lives, but growing the lives of others. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.